Good morning. This is Michael Weaver and Jonathan Washburn, my friend from several years, coming to us from Cleveland, Ohio. How are you, John? I'm great, Michael. Thanks for asking. Awesome, awesome. Well, thanks for being here. I really appreciate you taking some time out of your uh, busy schedule to to inform us of what's going on in your world and and uh, how we can learn a little bit from it. So, John, why don't you start off by telling me uh, how long have you been in the real estate mortgage industry? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I was a high school teacher for about almost, almost 10 years. Mm -hmm. And about four years ago, I moved from Charleston, South Carolina to, uh, just outside of Cleveland, Ohio Mm -hmm. and took a job in the mortgage business, became a loan officer, a friend of mine from college, um, offered me a job to come work with him, kind of learn under him. Mm -hmm. And after working with him for about a year and a half, I went off on my own and started my doing my own thing. So yeah, I've been a, a mortgage loan originator for about four years now. Awesome, awesome. So, how do you make that leap from education into the lending world? What does that uh, you know? What does that look like? How does that put a, um, a dinner conversation to you know your wife? Like, hey, I'm thinking about getting out of education. and want to go into mortgage lending. How did that all go? Yeah, that's a. That's an interesting question. It, so to be totally honest, it wasn't like I really even knew or understood what a, a loan officer did before I decided to, you know, make the move. Uh, my buddy just told me, hey, um, if you're smart enough to pass a test and if you are vigilant, vigilant enough to kind of stay updated on guidelines and if you know how to explain people and talk to people, he kind of he said, you can probably pretty be, be pretty good at this. Okay. So I was like, okay, so studying and learning guidelines and then communicating this to people in a way that they can understand, that actually sounds a lot like teaching. So, you know, once once I got into it, um, I, I, I realized that that was pretty true, that it really is a lot like teaching. And I kind of, uh, I, I used to be a, a high school history teacher and a dean of students in the high school. And so I rebranded myself as the dean of mortgages because I'm trying to educate buyers and you know other people that are involved in a in a real estate transaction to the best of my ability, so that everybody knows you know kind of what's going on and is well aware of everything in the process. Mm, awesome, awesome. So uh, basically, it, it was uh, sort of like you weren't really getting out of education; you were just changing what you were educating and the. Uh, the clients, you know, instead of uh, your students, you'd have clients. And that's, that's kind of what uh, drew you. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's exactly right. Instead of teaching about Napoleon and the French Revolution, now I'm teaching about uh, uh, FHA appraisal rules. So, nice. yeah, no, uh, that's exactly how I, how I view it as well. Now, at the time, uh, so obviously, you know, moving up up uh, out of state and, and uprooting your family and kind of going somewhere, tell me a little bit about what does that look like for your family? Did your wife, was she working? Did you have children then? Like, how, how did that process all look? Yeah, so we had already had two kids, um, and she was, uh, she had been a, uh, an elementary school teacher, but uh, she was, she was no longer working. She was staying at home with the kids. Mm-hmm. And 
Um, but we chose to move back to where she was from. So she grew up in a little city called Menor, right outside of Cleveland in Ohio. So we moved back to Menor to be near her family. And uh, as I was changing careers, got a lot of help from the family, you know, from her parents, from her brother, um, that really made the transition, you know, pretty smooth. That's awesome. And, and that actually, uh, that was probably like what made the trip possible was uh, having that family unit and being able to, uh, you know, have that support. I totally, totally understand and can, can get that. That's great. Um, so uh, did you ever have experience with a lender or like the loan process prior to becoming a lender yourself? No. So I had, I had purchased a home in Charleston, South Carolina in like 2011. I had done it once. Um, and back then lending was, was quite different. You know, I, I did, uh, I did one of these kind of, uh, cookie cutter construction loans, uh, with a company called Eastwood. They're similar to like Ryan or Pulte or whomever you might be more familiar with in your area. Um, and I just walked in and I was like, I don't know if I can even buy a house. And she said, Oh, well, call my guy and he'll tell you if you can. And I called the guy and he asked me some questions and he pulled my credit. He's like, yeah, we're good to go. I was like, okay, that's cool. And we picked out a house and we bought it. And he said, give me some documents. And I did. And everything closed on time. And I had no idea what was going on. I had no idea of the inner workings of the process. I just kind of assumed that you could just go to a builder and they would point you to a guy and he would give you a loan and you would buy. And, um, (laughs) <laughs> that's literally that's the extent of my knowledge on it. I had several really good friends that were in mortgages and they would always talk about mortgages when I was hanging out with them, but I had no idea really what they were talking about. So to be, yeah, to be completely transparent, I came from a very blank slate sort of, sort of position when I, when I came into the industry, I, I was, I knew very little and I was ready to learn. That's interesting. So, uh, on that topic, when you said you had lots of friends that were in the mortgage industry, um, now knowing what you do know, uh, do you think that there was any balls dropped, uh, you know, that, that you could have, uh, you know, got help from them and, you know, and, and maybe, maybe kind of our follow up. uh, did you see that maybe that was lacking and, and, uh, in that, or was it just a situation where they, they couldn't help you in a certain way or, um, you know, personally that that's kind of what I've, uh, come across sometimes is we're talking to somebody and, and they're like, yeah, we just bought a house last week. And you're like, wait, what? Didn't even know you were looking. And, <laughs> and then you realize, well, I should have, you know, mailed you more cards or, or what have you. But did you find that, uh, be the case or, uh, not? Yeah, no. So that it's, it's funny that you asked that. So I went in and I talked to this guy, um, and he said, Hey, this is, this is really cool. John, we have, we happen to have a really cool program for you to qualify for. And he said, we have this new program in South Carolina. And by the way, I don't think this program exists anymore, but he said, we have this new program in South Carolina. If you have a 700 credit score, and if you are a school teacher, firefighter, nurse, or police officer, it was like a, a hometown heroes type thing. Um, so if you're one of those four things and you make less than $60,000 a year, you can qualify for a conventional loan with no down payment and no mortgage insurance. And all of these things sounded wow. pretty good for me. Um, <laughs> but I didn't really know what they meant. So I was like, okay, cool. And I actually happened to qualify for, for we, we qualified for, for, we met all three of those qualifications. And my buddy, Nick, actually, who's a guy that I, that I work with now, he's, um, you know, 
my best friend in the industry. I, I talked to him every day. He heard that I was buying a house and he called me and he's like, Hey, I heard you're buying a house. Do you need a loan? I was like, yeah, I think I'm getting something pretty good, but I would love to use you instead. And he did the whole, okay, well tell me what kind of nonsense they're, they're, they're telling you and, and that they're kind of scamming you. And I was like, well, here it is. Sounds pretty good. And he said, John, that doesn't exist. Let me do some research. There's no way that this type of loan exists. And he called back like 10 minutes later and he said, John, you need to run, not walk, but run to sign the papers on this loan because this is better than any loan I've ever heard of. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, this is some special portfolio loan that um, this one bank in the Southeast is doing, which I didn't really know what any of those words meant at the time. You know, I do now. I, I understand what a portfolio product is now. Mm-hmm. But he's like, yeah, this is a special portfolio loan that they're doing down there. I, I just looked it up. It's legit. It's amazing. He's like, I can't get you anywhere close to that. And I said, okay, cool. And I got this loan. And so, yeah, yeah I was, uh, my wife and I were, were both school teachers, not making a lot of money. We didn't have very much money saved up at all. But we were able to purchase this house with no down payment and no mortgage insurance. And um, I thought it was easy to buy a house. Little <laughs> did I know that like that was like a very specific, you know, niche product that most people can't qualify for. And typically you have to be much more qualified to, to be able to purchase a home. So did you have that uh, misconception, uh, like many people, uh, me included, when you were kind of going into this, like almost fish in a barrel, like, uh, oh, well, it was so easy for us to get a loan. Uh, anybody could get a loan. Was it kind of like that? <laughs> absolutely. No, absolutely. And then you start talking to people every day who come from, you know, slightly similar situations or, you know, sometimes they have good credit, but, you know, maybe they make too much money to qualify for the better loan program. Yeah. Um, or sometimes they have good credit and their their income is fine, but they just haven't been able to save up very much money yet. And so they don't have money for a down payment. So, yeah. No, I remember... I was 24 years old, was just out of college for a couple of years. And we were like, hey, wouldn't it be cool to buy a house? And we walked in and they were like, hey, here's this loan program that you qualify for. And then we qualified for it. And six months later, we were in a home. Yeah, it was super <laughs> easy for us. And we had no idea that it, that it typically doesn't work that way. That's awesome. Yeah, that's uh, that's totally, totally legit. And I, I get... Uh, I get where you're coming from on, <laughs> on we actually there is a, a bank that I've heard of around here that has something something crazy like that it's it's not exactly like that but for uh, physicians and um, I mean they if you are, are a doctor uh, or in school to be a doctor they they have a program where your parents can can sign you up um, and and basically uh, they'll actually pay your down payment for you uh, as long as you make all your payments for a year. Um, and and mm. the, the bank loses money on the program. I've I've asked. I said, how can they afford to do that? And the uh, the person explaining the program said, well, their hopes are that uh, the parent and the child that are in that situation will then become a banking customer in which they would get their mm-hmm. money back. And so it's kind of a kind of a process like that but um okay so um have you thought about hiring your previous lender uh when you got into the the process you're now uh a lender and you've worked your way up and you're now a manager uh have you ever thought about reaching back out and and talking to the people that were in your your previous paths and uh, offering them a job yeah that's a great question so um you know the guy that i actually started out working for and with he's one of my best friends in the industry and he and I talk all the time. Like, you know, Hey, 
wouldn't it be great to work together again? You know, cause you know, I, I he's really good at what he does. He kind of mm-hmm. taught me everything he knows. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we have similar faith backgrounds we get along really well, but you know, we're both, you know, doing well where we are. So I don't think that that's in the cards mm-hmm. <laughs> necessarily, but mm-hmm. you know, it's definitely something I love to, you know, I like to work with people that I like. I like to work with people that I know, like, and trust. And so, yeah, you know, there's definitely people that I, I've worked for in the past that, you know, would I would love to, you know, continue working with now. Um, sometimes it just doesn't work out to do that. But, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of what I was going to ask is, so when you do hire people, being a manager and, and, and a producing manager at that, so that means you, you are out there hustling and, and getting your own business as well as managing other people. I love I love that on your business card. Uh, it kind of lets people know you're not just uh, some stiff guy at the uh, end of the hall, corner office that uh, is there when there's a problem. You're out there, uh, you know, beating it down just like everybody else. Um, when you're hiring people, what, what kind of, uh, people are you looking for? What kind of questions do you, uh, ask and, and what kind of, uh, you know, metal are you looking for in these folks? Interesting. So I think that, um, I think that a good loan officer has to have three qualities. Um, and these aren't necessarily in order, but these are the three qualities that I believe a good loan officer has to have. Number one, you have to be smart enough to pass the test. Mm-hmm. Um, in order to become a loan officer, uh, if you want to be licensed and working at a, a, a nationally licensed lender, um, you have to pass a very incredibly difficult test called the SAFE test. Um, it's 125 questions. Um, 25 of them are fake. So <laughs> they only actually take 100 of them. But mm-hmm. they, they throw in 25 extra questions just to, just to make you a little bit more nervous. Mm-hmm. And you have to get at least a 75 out of 100 to, to pass a test. And if you don't pass the test, you can't be a licensed loan officer. You might be able to go work at a bank um, that's registered with the FDIC. And, you know, they have much looser qualifications. But their, their process to, to originate is, is far less stringent than what we have um, over here with the NMLS as, as licensed loan originators. So um, if you're not smart enough to pass a very difficult test that takes three hours and, you know, is, is complex off or consisting of lots of mortgage regulations and, and math and ethical questions and all sorts of those things, um, you, can't, you just can't be a loan officer. Um, the second thing I think you have to be is organized. Um, and to be totally honest, if if, if I am, if of these three things, this is probably the one I'm weakest on, you know, I'm always trying to get better, mm-hmm. but you know, you're, you're, you're talking to a lot of people every day. You're talking to different realtors every day. You, you, you're managing different transactions, right? So you, you might be working on four or eight or 12 or in your busy months, like 20 or 30 loans at a time. That's 20 or 30 different properties. That's, 40 to 60 different real estate agents. That's, mm-hmm. you know, 20 to 30 different buyers, 20 to 30 different sellers, 20 to 30 different appraisers, um, title companies. So if you're not organized, if you don't, if you're not able to kind of keep track of everything and, and make sure that you're following up with people consistently, it can be, you know, you're going to do poorly at your job. And then the third thing is communication and, um, communication consists of a couple things. First of all, being able to uh, summarize and condense complex issues into shorter, easier to grasp ideas, right? So being able to, uh, well, I would say teach, you know, teach complex issues in a simple way. 
but also um, being able to to uh, communicate difficult information, um, yeah, information that can seemingly ruin people's lives, right? Because not every transaction goes perfectly. Not every transaction closes smoothly. Um, sometimes uh, buyers will lie and they'll say, yeah, I'm selling this property and I'm, I'm getting that money for, I'm going to use that money from the sale for um, the down payment on my new home. And you say, excellent. And you set up the file to be, to run that way. And then a week and a half before closing, you find out, oh, they actually didn't sell the property. They decided to give it to their cousin um, for a dollar. And yes, I am speaking very specifically about something that actually did just happen to me recently. And they're like, oh, well, yeah, I, I figured out I could do it this way. And then my mom can just give me a gift for the down payment. Well, that changes everything because now we had a, we add a gift to the equation. And now instead of using your own money, you're using somebody else's money. And the, the findings don't like this as much. And now we have a loan that I have to deny as opposed to a loan that we could approve. And, oh, you just sold your old home to your cousin. So now you are about to be homeless because we can't help you close on this home that you were supposed to be closing on this week. Mm-hmm. So being able to talk through those types of situation with the buyer and with the real estate agents and with the seller who everyone's angry at you, right? You know, that's not an easy thing. Um, and it can be rather difficult. And a lot of times loan officers are just scared to have these conversations or perhaps they'll, they'll push them off because they think like, Hey, maybe things will get better. But I've learned that bad news never ages well. <laughs> and as soon as you find it out, you just need to talk about it immediately. Um, and, you know, that's, those are the three things. You have to be smart enough to pass the test. Um, be organized enough to, to handle a lot of different people at the same time. And then be able to communicate complex ideas and difficult ideas to people that need to know immediately. I think those are the three things that I'm looking for when I'm looking to build my team. Awesome. Now, do you uh, do you find it better to hire the experience or the blank slates when it comes to lenders? Which, which do you prefer? Yeah, so that's a, that's a great question, and it's going to depend on what your model is. So there's there's a lot of different models for um, you know for lenders. Um, I started out in a model that preferred the blank slate. Um, so the model I started out in is they brought you know twenty of us in. They they taught us. They you know they prepared us for the test for about three weeks. We all went and took the test. Half of us failed. Um, so those half of the, the, the half of the class that failed, they just lost their jobs right there. Sorry, you couldn't do it. It is what it is. The 10 of us that did pass, we moved to like the second stage. We work in a call center, you know, calling people, Hey, do you want to refinance? Hey, are you looking to purchase? Did that whole sort of thing. Um, and they weeded some more of us out too. And now they're figuring out, are you able to communicate with people? Are you able to talk to people about complex things? Mm-hmm. And then once we got through the call center, they, they put us onto, you know, onto the, the, the official floor. We got our, we had our licenses at this point, And now we were working underneath other loan officers, kind of learning the job as we went. Mm-hmm. And that's how they figured out, okay, now we, now we'll know if you're organized enough and if you're able to communicate enough with people to, to be good at this. That model is definitely a blank slate model. And I think that works for a lot of lenders that are doing that. Um, the model that I currently have, though, uh, is a little bit more of a, of a purchase-based model 
where we are trying to, you know, reach out to, to real estate agents and title companies and, and the different people to, to try to build relationships so that we can work with people that are buying homes. Mm-hmm. And I've found that I need someone in, in this role that is experienced enough to kind of at least know the lingo, to at least know, you know, how to talk through some things. Um, a girl that I hired last year, she came from a title company. She had been a title company rep for, for several years. Mm-hmm. So she you know, knew a lot of people in the industry. She definitely knew about loans. She actually knew some of the, some parts of the process much better than I did because she had come from the title world. So now when I have title questions, I call Megan up. I say, Hey, what's going on here? What does this mean? And she can, she can explain that to me. So like with my model right now, I'm looking for people that have some experience. I do kind of want a little bit of a blank slate. So like Megan had never been a lender before. So I was able to teach her through, you know, some of the things that I thought were really important, you know, about how to pre-approve people. What are the things that we're looking for? The conversations that we ought to be having every step in the process. But, you know, the fact that she had some experience was very helpful, you know, that enabled us to kind of hit the ground running on a couple things. Well, that's uh, that's really good. I, uh, I you know, I, I kind of think that the uh, the mix is, is always a good thing uh, for people who are kind of in that middle ground. Like you said, I'm sure the company that uh, you were talking about where there was a blank slate it sounded like they had a big revolving door of, of folks. Lots of people in, lots of people out. Correct. So uh, they can afford uh, sort of to have that. Um, that training process to weed it out, but when you are more of a lean mach- lean machine, you kind of want to have uh, a little bit of mixture, uh, so you're not having to do so much training and then leaving uh, half of your people uh, down. <clears throat> so uh, tell right. me, no, and- oh yeah, go ahead. No, well, yeah, I was going to say, you know, I, I I tell people a lot. You know, I love the place that I started out at. It was a great place to learn the industry, right? And, you know, if, if you have no experience at all, but this is something that you want to get into, I would recommend starting out at a place like that, learning, you know, learning the industry. One thing I always say is you get a lot of at-bats there, right? You're going to talk to a lot of people every day. You're going to turn down a lot of people every single day. But, you know, I worked there for a year and a half. I got a lot of at-bats. I was able to work on a lot of loans in a, in a short amount of time. Um, but ultimately, I, I do think you want to be able to get to the point where you can, um, you know, branch out and build your own business. And that's, you know, that's what I, that's what I did after a little while. Yeah. You, you probably see a, a better return on your, uh, time for your, you know, you probably get some, some better pay when you do it that way. Right. Like if you were to take the, the at bats and, and even the misses, um, on, on your pay scale now, you would probably have made more funds. And that, that's how those big companies, that's how they, they make more money because they pay those folks less to hit more and, uh, you know, to try more uh, people. And, uh, you know, it's just it's just a numbers game. But uh, so tell me, sure. though, uh, you know, in real estate, I feel like we're doing the same thing a lot of times is, is educating people. Um, do you think if the same opportunity presented itself being a real estate broker that you would have went that way? Um, or do you simply think that the lending uh, just fits your, uh, your goals better? Man, that's a great question. Um, I actually have had real estate agents ask me if I want to come work with them before. Um, are they three I, names? I, <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> yes, they are actually, believe it or not. Um, uh, so, so here's actually what I think. Um, I don't think I would be as good of a realtor as a as I am a lender. 
I think there's a couple things that that real estate agents need to have that they, they probably are better at than I am, you know? So for instance, one thing is, um, real estate agents need to have a lot of patience, a lot of patience. Um, and I'm not, I'm not necessarily an inpatient person, but the good real estate agents that I've met are, are typically more patient than I am. Um, because my job is, is ultimately pretty simple. I listen to what a, a buyer, um, you know, a, to what a buyer tells me. I listen to their qualifications and then I tell them, okay, here's the facts. You make this much, you can afford this much. Mm -hmm. You can go look at homes that are this much, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and when they have questions about the financing and how much it's going to cost and, um, like very simple black and white questions, I am more than happy and able to answer these questions. Um, you know, very simply and straightforward. As opposed to a real estate agent that, you know, it's like, okay, you can afford a $200,000 house. Now let's talk about the laundry list of things that you think you want and that you think you don't want. And then you put together this long list mm -hmm. and we say, okay, this is what we want. And then, you know, tomorrow a buyer comes in and says, hey, I actually saw this house. And you're like, well, that doesn't have any of the six things that you said you needed. And they say, well, I really want to go look at it anyway. And then you've got to go take them and look at it. And they're like, yeah, you're right. It didn't have any of the things that you needed. And now you just took you know, an hour and a half, two hours out to, to nurture that relationship and try to be there for the buyer when you kind of knew all along that it probably wasn't going to work out. Um, that is the type of thing that would drive me crazy. And most of the good realtors that I know, um, they just understand, hey, this is part of the job. Um, you know, another thing is, um, I think realtors often have to, um, have to be there like, in the room with the buyer sometimes at their hardest moments, mm -hmm. right? You know, you, you, you've made, I, I was working with a guy, he made 47 offers hmm. on homes over here in Cleveland in the last month and a half before he got his 48 offer accepted. Mm -hmm. And man, that was, that was rough for me to, you know, talk with him 47 different times and send over a pre-approval 47 different times. But for the real estate agent that had to sit down and and write up 47 different offers and, you know, then you, you submit the offer and you hope that it's accepted and then it's not. And now you have to call, you know, you have to call the, the, the borrower and say, hey, look, they had 31 offers and ours wasn't the best one. I'm really, really sorry. That's really tough. And that, that's like an emotional roller coaster that I think you just have to be built differently in order to be a good roller coaster or in order to be a good realtor, as opposed to the lending world is a, is a little bit more, uh, it, I think it's a little less emotional. Um, and I think it's something that I'm a little bit better suited to, to do. So yeah, in, uh, regarding that, the, uh, process we have is we could actually make templates for offers. And, um, you know, the, the issue though is, the next offer you think is the last offer that you're writing for this folks. So, you know, it's like, you don't want to make a template because, uh, you're like, this is the one. And, and, you know, when do you make that template on the ninth, 10th, 11th, 15th, 30th? Like, I mean, I, I would be, right. uh, kind of remiss if I didn't say that I've done the same thing. I've got someone who we've written four or five different offers on and, uh, we've been working with them for 
over a year and a half. So, I mean, that, that time has been stretched out, but still it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things I think that I'll make a template for them because I don't know that they're going to be buying anytime soon. Uh, just with every time we get, get halfway through a process, they, they pull the ripcord for one reason or another. So, um, yeah, well, uh, so tell me what is working in your field? Uh, what do you see that the, the industry is really doing right? Uh, now that you've kind of been in here, you've, you know, been super successful. You've seen a lots of ups and downs and, you know, tell me what, what do you think that, the, that is really going good for, for the lending institution? Hmm. That's a good question. And just one second, I believe my dog's going to start barking here very quickly because my my wife has a pickup order that's coming so excuse my dog that's about to go crazy here in the next few minutes no worries um all right what is what is the lending world doing well right now hmm well i think the lending world has done a good job over the last year and a half navigating through covid and the um the the cares act and everything that was going to happen potentially with all sorts of people that were not going to be able to make their mortgage payments. There's my dog. just as I, as, as I predicted. Um, and there's mine. I muted myself. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, something happened last year, you know, COVID happened, the, the, the world and the economy nearly ground to a halt. And uh, a lot of people were really concerned if we were going to have this huge boom in foreclosures that was going to cripple the housing market. Um, but Congress got together and said, hey, um, we're going to implement the CARES Act, which means that you have to let people opt into forbearance on their, on their mortgages. And actually, a lot of people were really concerned because typically the way forbearance works is, you know, we'll give you six months off, but then on month seven, you've got to pay all seven months back. And it was like, okay, well, this might help people in the short term, but if they take six months off and they have to make seven payments on month seven, you know, you're just kicking the can down the road that you're not actually helping people. Right. Um, but, and so I, actually there was a lot of real concern that this was going to like still contribute to a housing crash. It was just going to kick it down the road six, six months or a year. But um, what actually happened is that most banks and lenders um, decided, you know what, we're not going to do that. We're going to let you take six months off and we're just going to put those six months onto the very end of your term. So if you were going to finish paying for your house in December of 2050, now you'll finish paying it in June of 2051. Um, and when they did that, they really actually gave everybody a six, six month break from their mortgage payment, which able, enabled a lot of people to kind of stabilize themselves financially and get through it. Now, when they did that, so I, I think that was actually a good thing. I think that helped a lot of people. But in, in another way, it's actually also kind of contributing to some of the, the inventory problems that we're having right now. Because when they did that, um, there's, you know, there's another rule in, in lending that basically says if you opted into forbearance, well, when you come out, you have to make a certain number of payments on time before you're able to get a new mortgage. So if somebody took, you know, if, if somebody opted in for forbearance and they were able to avoid their, their home payments for a year, let's say they just got out of forbearance this last month, they have to make three mortgage payments before they're even able to consider refinancing or buying a new home. So, you know, the, the inventory problems are, are, are crazy all over the country right now. There's just not a lot of houses available. 
but um and 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 part of the reason probably i believe is that there's a lot of people that actually want to sell their house but they can't because they opted into forbearance and they haven't you know opted back in to making payments and they haven't made enough payments to even be eligible to do that so i think that's like a that's something that we did well but it's also contributing to some of the problems i also think like i really truly do believe that there are a lot of loan officers out there that are doing their best to educate the public more than ever before. Um, you know, when, when these forbearance, um, when the forbearance became uh, kind of like common last year, I got online, a bunch of my friends got on online making YouTube videos, Facebook videos, you know, blog posts as, as much as we possibly could to tell people, just what it meant if they opted into forbearance and what the consequences would be. Um, and I truly do believe that, you know, if you, if you look at the numbers that they were predicting of people that would, were going to opt into forbearance versus the number of people that actually did, I feel like our industry did a good job of educating people through the process. You know, just a, a quick example. I made a video last year and said, Hey, don't opt into forbearance if you don't need to. And then three months later, a friend of mine that I had known 10 years previously and hadn't spoken to, he called me up and said, Hey, we lost our job in March. I was going to opt into forbearance, but I saw your video and I didn't. And now I just got a new job. We're moving to Tennessee. I want to buy a house. Can I? And I was able to tell him, yeah, you can. You never opted into forbearance. You don't have to take any breaks at all. We can buy this. You can buy this new house. I was able to work with him. And you know, I think there's, there's just countless stories like that from that come from, loan officers that decided, Hey, I want to try to educate the public. I want to try to make sure that people know exactly what's going on here. That's great. That's a, that's a really encouraging story. And I bet you that, uh, you know, makes you want to go out there and, and do the videos next time that, uh, something crazy comes up, you want to be out there to help people. And, and like you said, how many people that saw that, that didn't have your phone number to, call you up and say, Hey, thanks. Um, you know, or maybe have the courage to even type that on there, uh, you know, on the, the bottom of the YouTube video. I think that's, that's awesome. So, uh, how could you, uh, how long could you go into forbearance? You said six months, then you said a year. Uh, how long could people be in that, uh, sort of situation? Yeah. So you could opt in for anywhere from three months to a year originally. Um, I do believe though, um, they did extend it. So like if you, like last March, you could have opted in for a year. Um, but, you know, in the last six months or so, they, I, I believe they said that they, they, you could extend it if you, if you had like extenuated circumstances that, that meant that you needed to. So there are, there are people in this country that have, that have been in mortgage forbearance for more than a year at this point. Um, and, uh, you know, student loans, same thing. Uh, student loans, all student loans were just automatically placed into forbearance last March. They're not coming out of forbearance until later this fall. Um, so yeah, the CARES Act, <laughs> whether you think it was good or bad for our country long term, it's what happened. And we've had a lot of people that just haven't had to pay on student loan debt or mortgage debt for, for quite some time now. This might be a question that you couldn't answer, but just curious. Um, so you mentioned that they, they could make three mortgage payments uh, or needed to before they could sell. Uh, with all the stimulus money and let's say somebody got back to work and they were in a trade where uh, you know they might have gotten uh, a lot of summer work or something where they were able to get uh, quite a bit of money back, 
uh, you know, right back into their bank account. Could you uh, work something out with the bank where you paid them, say, three months? Say, hey, I want to sell my house, uh, so I'll, I'll pay one month because uh, I'm going to be here, but then I'll give you two more months of payments ahead to let me close early. Do you think that, that banks would allow that, or do they do they want to keep you uh, for that actual time, that actual extra two months if that was a, a real scenario? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And um, the answer is actually you have to make three months. So you can't you can't just pay three months up front. What the what what Fannie and Freddie are both looking for um, is okay. You're back in. You know, you're, you're back making payments, but we want to see stability and consistency that you are actually able to make these payments and that you have made them three straight months. Makes sense. So yeah, if 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 you're in forbearance, once you opt out you still got to wait at least three months before you're able to, you know, put your home on the market and qualify for something else. Okay. So, uh, that was, uh, you know, what, what things are going right, great in your uh, industry, but what, what do you see some struggles? Uh, you know, maybe what do you see struggles in your personal business? Like that, uh, you, you think that you, you're like, man, this is a really big obstacle at this point. Or if I could get rid of this obstacle, this would make things easier. Uh, is there anything in, in your personal or, or just industry wide that you think is a, is a struggle? Yeah. So I would say, I would say, well, uh, let me give you one struggle. And then one thing that's like kind of concerning. Okay. Um, so the struggle that I and a lot of other lenders are having right now is with appraisers. Um, so, you know, 15 years ago, appraisers and banks often had relationships that were unethical and they were hurting homeowners, right? You know, uh, uh, the joke back in 2007 was if an appraisal came back short, well, you just got the wrong appraiser, <laughs> right? And so, uh, you know, banks would, you know, do this thing where they would pull the appraiser over and be like, hey, we really need to wink, wink. We need this house to wink, wink, come back at $400,000. Mm-hmm. And the appraiser like, oh, okay, cool. And, you know, maybe you slide an extra hundred bucks on the side to the appraiser. And then that, that appraisal comes back, 400000 And the bank is protected and the, and the homeowner is not protected. Because the bank was thinking, well, even if this homeowner can't pay for it, we have to foreclose. House prices are going up so much, we'll just take the house over and we'll sell it again, right? So this is like a real problem. So um, when they were trying to rebuild the housing market, um, uh, Elizabeth Warren and Andrew Cuomo and some, some of these other people, um, they, in, they instituted something called the CFPB, the, Compu- the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. And as part of their, their whole new list of laws that were designed to protect homeowners, they said that they, they analyzed the situation and they, they said, we believe that mortgage brokers are the main problem here. So, all mortgage brokers and, and direct lenders, like the places that I've typically worked, um, we are the licensed side of the lending world, as opposed to banks, which are the registered side of the lending world. The licensed side of the lending world were given new rules in regards to appraisals. So when I order an, in a, when I order an appraisal for a customer, um, I actually am not even allowed to talk to the appraiser. I, I order the appraisal through a third party called an AMC, an appraisal management company. So I tell the appraisal management company, hey, I need an appraiser for this house on this day. And they'll shotgun blast 
you know, that message out to 15, 20 appraisers in the area. One of them will pick it. And then, you know, that way we keep everything separate. I'm not talking to the appraiser directly, telling him, hey, hey, this is what we need sort of thing. All communication is done to the AMC. Mm-hmm. Well, the AMC takes a cut, right? You know, if an appraisal is 500 bucks, the AMC might take 100 bucks. And now that appraiser is only getting 400 bucks mm-hmm. for, the, for the service. Um, and not everywhere... But in some places in this country, there are there is apparently a coup that is being staged by appraisers. Um, I, I, I do a lot of business in an area of upstate South Carolina, and <laughs> I spoke to um, I actually spoke to an appraiser there that said that he and all of the other appraisers in that area have decided they're not going to be taking any um, you know any. Uh, assignments from AMCs anymore because they don't like getting paid less. So they're only going to be taking assignments directly from banks. And so this is how I got into a situation a couple weeks ago where we ordered an appraisal and it wasn't even done for 32 days. And there was nothing that we could do about it because the appraisers were just, you know, like, Hey, this is what we're doing. We'd rather work with, this large bank that's paying us all the money instead of working with you where the AMC is getting some money. So this is an instance where, you know, something that was implemented to help homeowners looks like over the last few months. And this is not just me. There's, there's, there's loan officers all over the country. They're talking about this in certain select areas that this has kind of been a struggle that appraisers are saying, okay, well, if you want me to take it, you have to pay for a rush. Well, how much is the rush? The rush is an extra 500 bucks. Yeah. And now this is hurting consumers. This is hurting, um, you know, this is hurting lenders. This is, this is hurting a lot of us in this way. Um, it's not like this everywhere. It's not like this in Northeast Ohio where, where I do a lot of business. It is like it in South Carolina. I've seen a little bit of it in Florida. I have some buddies that do a lot in North Carolina that's saying they're seeing it. So it's, you know, I'm curious if this is going to keep spreading or if this is something that, you know, is going to make national news and then they're going to put a stop to it somehow. Yeah, right? I totally um, see the same yeah. issue with, with just, just the appraisers in general, right? Like if you have a problem with an appraisal, um, you, you are an appraiser, uh, you can take it up with the attorney general and you can hope that someone else, <laughs> seriously, that's the only people that they, right. that they answer right. to. If uh, real estate agents do a horrible job, they're not going to get business. They could actually be sued and, and there's a problem. Uh, the appraisers, um, they, they tend to have this complex, uh, about them anyway. Uh, but it's, it's just mm. a, uh, you know, a difficult situation because, um, when you answer to the attorney general, and that is the, the only way people seem to be, uh, feeling like they, they have no choice. Uh, right. And, and that's, they, they're, they're insulated. So, so it's, it's just beyond me that they would start this, coup like you called it and, and try to try to fight back if you will when when in fact um you know we still have that issue uh you know currently not the paying off to get a higher rate but um i did a house last year where we had an appraisal come in it wasn't good we switched lenders so within 20 days from one appraisal to the next we jumped up uh 20% in value you know the dollars doesn't really matter but it was 20% so wow. both both um, appraisers had the exact same information. They see the purchase agreement. They know that they're ruining lives. 
Um, and <laughs> and then, you know, it's like, well, you know, they, they don't care. Almost, almost what's worse, you know, I can see if, if you know, because the market's going so crazy and, and you know, they don't want to give the value of $70,000 over a purchase value of $200,000. Uh, I, I can understand, you know, trying to, to bridge that gap as an appraiser saying, look, there's just no comps. But but when a when appraiser misses it by by less than you know three percent and it's like there is no black and white of what a bedroom costs right and so when mm-hmm. it's completely in their power to uh, make that appraisal work and yet it's just like they they stick it and, and they they do they completely ruin people's lives if they're expecting to get X and then they get X minus three percent that's a lot of money to sellers in in most cases so I, I get that. Um, uh, you know, frustration. E- even over here, though, we haven't experienced the delays so much. Uh, there certainly have been. Um, you know, it's not turning around in four or five days like it used to. Right. Yeah. No. It's a. Uh, it's something that a lot of people are concerned about in my industry, and um, you know, it's conceivably something that uh, could really affect licensed lenders a lot. Um, you know, the other thing I, I told you, there's, there's something that I'm struggling with and then there's something that concerns me. I'll tell you something that yep. concerns me is, you know, back in 2006, 2007, 2008, uh, there were one of the things that really hurt the housing market was the, the, uh, number of really bad loans that were being given out. You know, yeah. there, we have the famous ninja loans, like the no income, no job, no asset, no problem. We can qualify you loans <laughs> back then. Um, believe it or not, I have started to see more and more of these types of programs pop back up. You know, I got a, I got an email in my inbox a couple days ago, a guy telling me that he has a, a three month bank statement loan. So we don't care about your taxes. We don't care about your, uh, you don't even have to have a job. We don't need any pay stubs. All we need is three months of bank statements. And if you have, you know, let's say you have, $20,000 of deposit every month, each month for the last three months. We don't need anything else. We'll just pretend like you make $20,000 a month. And if you can put 20% down, we'll let you buy a house. And it's like, wow, I thought those loans were dead forever, but nope, they are coming back. And those are the types of things that, um, you know, those are the type, types of things that start worrying me. Um, if, if we start giving out these bad loans to people that really don't qualify, to people that shouldn't be able to purchase homes, um, you know, that is something that could cause a foreclosure crisis in our country. And, you know, that's that's something that I definitely don't want. Well, that kind of actually is uh, what I was going to ask next is if you were able to control what happens in the lending industry, what changes would you like to see brought and, uh, you know, why? Yeah, so <laughs> I have to answer this question um, out of both sides of my mouth almost because there's like, there's something that I, there's, there's, there's a route that I want, but then there's also a route that I think is needed and they are not the same, right? Like my, my, my desire, my want is for as many people to be able to buy homes as possible, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, as, as you know, you know, the, the number one way to build wealth in this country is to own a home. You know, just historically, like this is the easiest way to start building wealth. I was able to buy a home in 2011 mm-hmm. um, for, for, for no money down. I qualified for this, this crazy loan. 
Um, I was a school teacher. I did not make a lot of money. I was never able to save, you know, much money in my bank account. But by the time I sold that house seven years later, you know, I made more than $50,000 on it. And that was, that was one thing that enabled me to, you know, move to a completely mm-hmm. new state and start a new career. And it gave me the flexibility to start something new mm-hmm. without, you know, you know, going into crazy amounts of debt. Right. So I really want as many people as possible to be able to purchase homes. Um, at the same time, I'm looking at the market and I'm looking at kind of the stuff that's going on. And I actually think we, for the, for the sake of the whole market as a whole, um, I think we actually need to make it a little bit harder to purchase a home as opposed to going the other way around. Um, and you know, another thing I would do is, um, along with this, I think I would make it harder for people. I know this is going to be an unpopular thing. Um, but there, I think I would make it harder for people to accumulate like dozens and dozens of investment properties. Um, I understand that this is a, this is a great way to make money to, to, you know, like people make like a career out of this. But what, what is happening is, you know, when, when people own 10, 20, 30, 40 investment properties, you know, it's great for them, but this is just taking even more homes off the market, uh, you know, out of the available inventory for people that need to buy homes. And as you can see all over the country, the inventory for, for, for homes that are available is, is so low. And it's, it's incredibly frustrating when, you know, I, I got a guy who's made 47 different offers and, and you know, I think I'm like offer 39 or 40. Um, you know, the, the realtor told me, yeah, he had the exact, he actually had, uh, his offer was $5,000 higher than anybody else, but they took a cash offer from an investor that had already owned like 10 other properties. And he's just, you know, he's snapping things up and it's, it, it, it's, it, well, that's a cash deal. It's a safer deal. That's the, that's the deal that we're going to take. And it's, you know, that's, those are the types of things that, uh, it, it's just really tough right now for people that are trying to buy homes. Um, when, when they have to compete with investors that are, you know, already have multiple properties and it's just taking even less inventory off of the, um, off of the market, it's, it's getting really tough. I don't really know how to fix that one. That's like a, Hey, here's, here's a problem that I see. I'm going to let the smarter, the people that are smarter than me discuss how to actually do that. Um, you know, (laughs) myself, I want to own some rental properties as well. I feel like it's fine to own some rental properties. It's a, it's a great way to earn some additional cash and set yourself up for the future. But the problem comes when like people have 40. <laughs> it's like, it made, like, man, it's, it's just getting really, really tough for some people out here that are really trying to get into the, into the uh, home ownership game. Well, so. I, uh, I definitely think that's a, uh, uh, question that we're going to have to dive into next week. Uh, we're running out of time here, but I definitely want to uh, explore that with you. Um, so maybe we'll put that sure. on our agenda for next week. But, uh, you know, just just real quick, uh, do you see yourself lending in the next five years? And uh, if so, what do you think will change in comparison to how you're working now? Great question. So, yeah, I definitely see myself in this um, for the next five years at least. Um, you know, it's, it's funny about, 
about six months ago, uh, one of my managers that, that operates a, a larger branch down in Florida that, that likes to check in on me every now and again, mm-hmm. he called me to give me some constructive feedback. And, he, you know, I, I had spoken to a loan processor a little too harshly. <laughs> and he made this comment. He said, John, this is, you know, this is, first of all, you shouldn't be speaking to anyone this way. And secondly, this is no way to have a career. He said, this is, this is one loan in a career of loans that you're going to do. And if you, if you treat people this way on every single loan that you do, you know, you're going to get to 40 and <laughs> you're going to have high blood pressure and you're going to have all sorts of, of problems. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because that was, you know, I, I was a school teacher for so long and then I came over and I started doing the mortgage thing. And like, I had not yet internalized in my mind that like mortgages was what I was going to do is on my career. You know, it was like, well, this is something that I, I came up to Ohio to try mm-hmm. and I was pretty good at it and I got a branch and, you know, I started having some success, but like I hadn't internalized in my mind that like, no, 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 this is what I do, right? This is what I'm going to keep doing. This is mm-hmm. my career. And I had this conversation with him and ever since then, I've really been, you know, thinking about that a lot myself. And yeah, this is, this is what I love to do now. I definitely hope that I'm still in it, you know, five years from now. Um, where is the market going to be five years from now? That's a, that's a great question. Um, where I hope to be is, you know, I don't ever, oops, sorry, Siri, Siri heard me say, I hope to be, it sounded like her name. Um, I, I do not want to build this large sprawling branch with 10 loan officers that work underneath me so that I don't have to do anything. That is not really a goal of mine. I, I, I really love working with people every day to help them buy homes. You know, if I can, if I can get a few other loan officers that are pretty independent and can, can work with me and under me, but you know, just kind of like do their own thing and build their own businesses. I would love to do that. I love to help other loan officers build their own businesses while working with me. Um, but yeah, I hope to just, you know, I hope to continue, um, working with people every day that are looking to buy homes. Um, and, you know, as, as you know, the, some of the, some of the best feelings that we get in this industry is when you finally cross the finish line with somebody and they finally sign the pa- papers and you give them the keys in front of their house and you take a picture with them and they're just so excited and you've helped them, you know, radically change their life. And I, that I hope I never get away from that side of things. Mm-hmm. I, I want to continue working with people to help them buy homes, especially first time home buyers. They're the most fun. Um, they're sometimes the most work, but they are the most fun and the most rewarding. And that's, that's where I hope to be for five years from now, still working with people to buy homes and to, you know, make their dreams come true. Awesome. As cheesy as that sounds. Awesome. No, that that's great. I've got one final question, John. And uh, you said that you were a history teacher. So uh, if you could ask any, any question to any person, who would you ask and what would you ask him? Oh man. So Napoleon is one of my favorite historical characters. Not because I think he was a good guy, mind sure. you, because I don't think he was, but he is a very interesting figure. Um, and I think I would ask him when you escaped from the Isle of Elba and came back and took control the second time, did you really think that you were going to, that it was going to go well for you? Or did you know that it was still just a matter of time before you defeated? Like, I want to know if he really had that amount of confidence that he thought he was going to get to Waterloo and defeat everyone. 
or if he knew in the back of his mind, like, yeah, I basically just stuck out of jail. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to ride as far as I can, but it's all about to end eventually. That's what I would love to know what his real thought process is going in there. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, um, John, thanks again for, uh, taking your time that's all we have uh time for today and uh i really appreciate you uh carving out some time out of your schedule and giving us a little insight into uh you know your thoughts appreciate it brother i'm looking forward to do it again all right see ya